The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. guest who I'm glad to speak to in person introduce himself. Yeah, Tom, it's a pleasure to finally meet you. Um, yeah, so my name is Ted with Silver Knight PCs. I'm the owner of Silver Knight. Um, I've been running the company for about three years now. Um, I originally started out as a garage builder out of my house years ago while I was still active duty military out of uh, Army Special Operations. And uh, at the time, I was, you know, trying to basically build computers for my wild guildies. And then that slowly transitioned as I realized that I was fairly good at sourcing parts and building computers uh, to building them for clients. And eventually that grew to what Silver Knight is today. So um, a little bit of background about me um, and I guess where I'm from originally. I am Russian-Armenian, uh, first generation. My mother immigrated here from the Soviet Union or what used to be the Soviet Union. Yeah. Um, and uh, I am fluent in Russian. Uh, English is my third language here. Um, I read, write, curse of all that stuff. And uh, I used to jump out of planes for a living before I really did this full time. Um, as far as... I guess specifics of what I do today. My main job is, you know, I'm the owner of the company. I focus Silvernight PCs, right? Yeah, Silvernight PCs. Yeah, our focus is building custom computer solutions for customers. A lot of what we do is, if you want to look at it from uh, a system integrator perspective, is a bit different than what you might get with a lot of pre-built companies, right? Um, a lot of what pre-builds are is, hey, these are the models we have available, these are the specs, these are the prices, this is what you order. Our goal is to engineer a solution to the end user within their budgetary requirements. Their so they just give you like what they want in a budget and then you like quote it and say, this is what we want to put yes. in. More so than like, this is the Alienware Area 51 or whatever. It's yes. already configured in, you know. Yes. And one of the things that we kind of ran into early on is, you know, if you're coming to me to get a system built, then at that point you either don't have the time or don't have the expertise to get to build it yourself. Yeah. And so I'm not going to uh, spend the time trying to build a pre-built computer if you are trying to get exactly what you need, right? Um, a lot of people have this problem when they buy a pre-built that they either bought way too much for what they wanted to do or not enough. And there's that yeah. in-between area that causes heartburn for people. Uh, you see a lot of returns because of stuff like that where, uh, you know, they were like, oh, you know, I thought I needed 32 gigs of RAM, but really I needed 16. So they either overpaid for it and just suffer through that or two, they return it to try to get their money back. 
and then they're not satisfied ultimately. Uh, so our focus, our design philosophy is based around making sure that we figure out what the requirements of the customer are, figure out what they can afford to do. And sometimes the answer is you can't afford to do what you want to do in this moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe save up some more. And you'll tell them that. And we'll tell them that. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've turned away many clients in the past that like they, they want to play 4K 60 FPS gaming on a $500 budget. That's not really feasible, right? Like you can pull that off with a certain console with upscaling and stuff like that. But you can't really do that with like, you, you know, 3090 is really what you want to be targeting. 3080 you want to be targeting to pull that kind of performance in AAA titles. And even then, some games won't be able to do it at Ultra, you know, depending on the specific title. I mean, Cyberpunk, whatever. Well, I... I, I would, I would have to jump in and say that Cyberpunk's performance should not be your median for what what you're is, running things at. That's <laughs> a very valid thing. But like when Cyberpunk is around the corner, and you you see this happen a lot in the industry, where there's certain games that become a craze, and and, and there's hype that's built around them. PUBG was one that I kind of yeah. launched my company on at the time. Everybody wanted to play Battle Royale. It was the new thing on the street. Everybody was losing their minds about it. Uh, you know, obviously, Fortnite came out shortly after PUBG. Fortnite kind of already existed, but it was more of a survival crafting yeah, game back then. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, until. Yeah, and then it evolved into the Battle Royale genre that we know today. But You could almost say DayZ started that, too. Yes, but DayZ was... It wasn't on, the same thing, but it was also it felt built like it on was Arma a So yeah. Arma 2 being an old game, the hardware requirements were just way more feasible, right? You could pull that off on an right. X970, and it wasn't a big deal. PUBG was a little harder to run at 60 FPS. Render distances were really far. Um, the engine was not well optimized. It still isn't, arguably, to this day. Yeah. And so a lot of it was like, I need a PC that will play PUBG. That was one of the biggest requests I got early on. It was like, I need a computer that can play PUBG at 60 FPS. And I had to figure out what that hardware was and bring that recommendation to the customer and say, this is what the requirements are. This is what meets your requirement. This is what the budget is. And I left more customers walking away happy with those results than them spending money on an ambiguous computer. And this is before... Really, the the era of today where we you can go to certain manufacturers' websites and see, uh, you know, how many FPS do you want to get in this game? And then you click that, and then you get recommended a computer based on those requirements. Mm-hmm. That didn't exist back then. That, that was not even a thing. And I also realized a lot of clients have other demands that aren't just FPS in a game. Mm-hmm. There's people who wanted to stream. Streaming was just becoming popular at the time. Um, you know, Twitch streaming was was blowing up everywhere. It was, it was absolute insanity. And then you had uh, a lot of video editors like yourself. You know, you got you the horsepower you need to run Adobe Pro, DaVinci Resolve. Mm-hmm. They're pretty high, highly demanding programs, especially at higher resolutions. So we ended up catering to those clients as well. And then we started catering to military clients, other clients. They're just like, I need a server to do X. We custom built servers, but we always maintain that one design philosophy is. Let me build the requirement or the recommendation based on the requirements of the customer. And that's always been fundamentally what we built our company on. So let me uh, ask this question. 
Melodic Warrior writes in, just like uh, supporters on Patreon always can, says, Hey, Theo, welcome to the show. My question for you is this. At my previous job site, it was not too uncommon for me to see customers buy a pre-built and then bring it back in less than a month, sometimes two, because either the RAM was holding the system back or it had failed outright. How do you make sure that you get RAM that you at least somewhat sure will last for customers and not add additional costs at a later date? By the way, that's RAM. First thing I always checked, especially at Dell when Dell parts failed. So there's a couple different ways to attack that problem. Um, and depending on the type of system integrator you've been talking about, they have different approaches to this problem entirely. Now, RAM is kind of unique in the market because it's one of the few things that still maintains a lifetime warranty to this day. Um, so you, the expectation is that if you buy a DDR4 kit from them today and 10 years go by, and it craps out, one of the sticks stops working, you can RMA it. Mm -hmm. LEDs fuck up, you can RMA it, right? Um, all that kind of stuff is still viable. So what we looked at as a company early on, we were like, okay, well, RAM is hard to source traditionally uh, with good margins, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you buy the cheapest modules you can with no heat sinks and anything, they be, tend to be unreliable, okay? now. What I mean by that is uh, if you run low frequency and low voltage, it's not usually a problem. But if you have high voltage, high frequency RAM with no heat sinks on them, oh. they tend to crap out just based on the thermal limitations of the of the RAM sticks. Also, uh, generally speaking, those type of non-heat sink RAM are built cheaper, right? They're using cheaper componentry, PCBs, mm -hmm. et cetera. So what we target as a company is like, okay, we know that gamers really don't target RAM that's like below 3,000 speed. Let's mm -hmm. carry 3,000 up. Let's focus on that. Like I have 2133 8 gigabyte sticks for the guy that, hey, I have an old Optiplex I need to throw some RAM into. Yeah. But I don't. I carry it for him, not because we put them in gaming PCs. And we just don't cater to that market. What we targeted was um, high performance memory with heat sinks, with manufacturers that we know that have had enough time in the industry. Um, so mm. we partnered with Corsair. We partnered with Mushkin. Um, we we have distribution for G Skill. It's not ideal uh, with G Skill just because it was a little bit more difficult to get it set up. And what's weird about RAM is there's only three manufacturers for RAM in the world. Everybody <laughs> else just buys their modules and puts them yeah. on PCBs. Um, and there's this perception that if you're buying like Corsair memory, it's different memory than like buying it from like Mushkin or somebody else. Sure, but it's really. If it's Samsung B die, it's Samsung B die, and if it's SK Hynix, it's SK Hynix. Like it's the same stuff. Mm -hmm. They're just different PCBs. Now, arguably, the quality of those PCBs can vary. Uh, the quality of the componentry that go around the RAM modules can vary. Um, but if you have heat sinks, if you know what those components are, oftentimes you'll see. Right. So you target the specific, the right parts from the right manufacturers, and you know what's in it, so you know it's not going to fail. Let me ask this reader mail question. Derek Mitch writes in. He says, Tom and guest, well, it's Ted. Mm -hmm. Why do you think we see poor quality builds from many SIs? Is it just the bad ones make the news reviews since do-it-yourself folks want to feel superior to pre-built owners? I think there's a lot of that. Or is it because SIs know they can get away with lower quality? And, yeah, to be honest... <laughs> I think that is somewhat true. Like, I think a lot of tech tubers only talk about pre-builds when they can make fun of them. 
I don't ever see them like talking about them otherwise. Yes, I would love to challenge Steve with one of my pre-builds from Gamers of Gamers Nexus. Nexus. Yeah, yeah. Um, he 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 has a uh, an amazing ability to just rip into products in a very fun and entertaining way. Um, I'm sure he would find so many. Different He's had a thing about. Um Airflow in cases recently, which it's good because great. no one else is talking about how these are just <laughs> boxes with out sealed cooling. glass. Yeah. I, I, like NZXT, listen, I love your case designs, but God, please get us some more airflow on some of these. Like, there, it's like this little vent on the side is not cutting it when you have a 3090 in the case. You know what I mean? Like, you got to make more perforations. There's ways to make that appealing to customers. And I know they have this box and they love the design of it, but there's just ways to do that. That is good versus ways that create a mediocre kind of thermal environment. And ultimately heat is what kills electronics. It's not dust. It's not it's even rarely even use, honestly, like yeah. they're built to run for a very long time. Yeah. I think once we get to three nanometer, we actually may have this issue where they do actually burn themselves out through voltage. But like, why do you think we see such poor quality? Pre-builds? Yeah, let's focus on that first. Yeah. So um, like, I, like from Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking with that. Um, there's a couple different like major companies that are trying to get into the space. I think. I think it's a little hard to understand until you understand how those companies work. Um, a company like Walmart sells great value brands of everything. That's what they do. Like they make a product copy that they sell at a discount. That's usually, uh, you know, similar but maybe slightly lower quality than the thing that's original. Mm-hmm. And. I mean, Sears did it with guns back in the day. You could used to buy a shotgun from Sears, and it was the Sears brand shotgun, yeah. right? Um, Walmart does the same thing with uh, all kinds of food products. They Tons have, of different things. Yeah, they really. do. Yeah, and that is their great value. Version. So that's what they're trying to do with cases. They, well, well, PCs, not just I PCs. Say. Yeah, they want to make sure that they can meet a requirement of the market, right? And maybe offer it at a cheaper price than uh, an SI that builds with better quality components. Um, the problem is, is when they just like straight up lie about certain things. I think at one point Gamers Nexus got one where they like ordered one thing, but they got something completely different. And that's, that is a problem, right? But that's just, that is a a specific failure of the way that program is managed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But ultimately like that is the great value brand of gaming PCs, right? You have cheap computers. Um, There's also the like Dell Alienware effect and then also like the HP side of things. And, and, uh, you know, I partner with these companies and sell their products, uh, you know, all the time. And it's not there is good products they make and there is bad products they make. Um, The the problem a lot of times is that a lot of companies now are sacrificing thermal and, um, you know, airflow performance in their computers uh, and quality of componentry inside of them to give them what we call the raw sex appeal, right? The, the, the pretty picture, uh, the Apple effect, where you have no air holes at all. It just, everything is cooled passively, but your CPU well, is running out of Except that actually the Mac Pro is very well cooled. Well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the, the new one, right? The, the desktop cheese grater style? Yes. Yeah, except, but, and well, some of their products aren't well cooled. Some of them in the past were. They're not like universally badly cooled. Some of the recent laptops aren't but so it depends but you we know prepare a lot of macs um imac pros we prepare a lot of um 
MacBook Pros. One of the biggest issues with them is just uh, repairability is basically non-existent. The solution yeah. for well, they want it that way. Yeah, they, and absolutely. And I'm a big proponent of right to repair, which seems ro- or weird for an SI to say that. But ultimately, we're also a VAR. We're a value-added reseller. And the way we add value to products is by offering alternative services. Like the answer for, hey, my battery went bad in my laptop or I have a $5 chip that went bad on my motherboard should not be, here's a new $2,000 laptop. It mm-hmm. should be, let me just pay 100 bucks in labor and $5 in, in the components and get it fixed. Because ultimately, we're just contributing massive amounts of e-waste for products that are perfectly fixable. <clears throat> there are several different companies, like EVGA, for example, um, who have uh, a very good like B-stock B program, where they take those old broken parts, they refurbish the ones that are rebuildable and fixable, and then they sell them at a discounted rate. And it doesn't affect their, if anything, they make more money that way because then they can slap a new warranty on that product for a year or two or however long. And then they create a market of their own for people of their used products that they've fixed. And they keep that shit from going into landfill. Mm -hmm. And it gives people on a budget that are willing to go for a shorter warranty period an option to get a higher performance component, whether it's a better power supply better graphics card, whatever. Obviously, B-Stock nowadays has been wiped out because everybody and their mama wants everything. Yeah, everything. Um, And there's no stop. But I think SIs, A, they know they can get away with it. If you want a budget gaming PC, they have to freaking, you have to buy it from them. If you're buying from someone like me, I just can't build that one that cheap. And then on the flip side of that, when you're talking about parents maybe that are not knowledgeable in this stuff, buying their, you know, kid a six, seven, eight hundred dollar computer, they don't really know the difference between an RX five eighty and a uh, sixteen sixty super. Mm-hmm. But Best Buy will be selling both with like a fifty dollar difference between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're when they buy that RX 580 that's five years old and it has problems because it's been sitting in some warehouse for four years waiting to get sold um, in, in that computer, they have a bad experience and they're like, OK, well, you know, it's just a crappy Dell or whatever, or whatever their typical response would be to that. Um, but there are these budget, you know, pre-built websites that I've seen that are still around and have some pretty have a lot of like negative experiences uh, and reviews. Do you think that they're making enough money with these kind of like, you know, oh, we only did a single channel memory. We actually used the cheapest SSD. We actually used the cheapest version of that graphics card. Now, so we have we made 10 percent more on this compared to maybe how much you made. You know, like they're doing it because they think they're making more money. Do you think they are or not? Obviously, your answer is probably no, because you've decided not to do business this way. You wouldn't do business this way unless you thought it was the most profitable way. So I don't think it's the most profitable way, but it's a way to make profit, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, they see a segment of the market that they can work the same way that I saw a segment of the market that I thought I could sell to, right? Um, there is a bunch of pre-built computer companies already in existence. I don't want to be just another pre-built computer company. My goal is to fill a lot of other things. I want to be like a better micro center, if that makes sense. Um, the And there's certain policies I've implemented to do that, but they're, they know that there's demand for that market. There's always going to be demand for that market. And a lot of them now are turning to refurbished computers. 
mm-hmm. to fill that void. Um, and it's it's actually not a bad business model. Uh, uh, light PCs, I think, is one that um, I've seen quite a few times now. They they're they're a, a, a mid sized you know system integrator, um, and, and they're they're ran by a young crew. And I can appreciate that because they're in my age group. It's not a bunch of executives that are in their fifties that don't know anything about building a computer and what gamers want. It's people our age that understand this stuff. And they, they've they kind of created this little thing where they're using like fourth gen i5s and like H97 boards and uh, with GTX 970s to build a guy like a $450 like budget gaming PC that can run most games at 60 FPS. Like, mm-hmm. and, and if you're, and it's refurbished components, obviously, because none of that stuff's made new anymore, but they are willing to stand behind their products to whatever their warranty period is. And they, they're doing it the right way is what I would say. If you were to take a, like an idea of that. So it's not all cheap computer companies are running crap. Mm-hmm. There is ones out there that know how to make. That are found a way to make it cheap without it. Being almost them trying to swindle you, basically. Exactly. They do cheap out on things like chipsets and stuff like that and, and maybe specific generations of GPUs. But you know what you're getting. Like, it's very transparent. You're like, I know I'm buying a second-gen Intel i7, you know, 2600K. It's not about that. It's about, hey, I need, like, a $400 PC that can game. Because mm-hmm. if you're talking about building a $400 PC that, that can do anything nowadays, <laughs> new, yeah, you're talking about integrated graphics for a yeah. 1030 which is nothing like, uh, I mean, a 1030 can't, uh, what, can you buy a 1030 for less than $300? I don't think you can. Oh, I don't know. I've seen them online every now and then for 200 ish, something like that, maybe below 200. But honestly, I don't think that cards with more than 80 bucks compared to the performance of everything else around it. But it's hard to say. Cause you know, the demand about before yeah. about to skyrocket because of the discontinu- the discontinuation of the GT 710 and 730. Like I think people don't know that they're still made to this day Yeah, and next are. month they're done. Because GDDR3 is no longer being made. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, you know, there's not going to be the ability to build those cards anymore. And the, the replacement for it is the 1030. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be that budget thing. Hey, I need two displays. Throw that into your To system. be fair, that 1030 probably costs 50 bucks to make. Probably. <laughs> yeah. And there's some really cool ones with like passive heat sinks that don't need any fans at all for like you know, systems that are sound. And those 710s and 730s are straight up worthless for gaming now. I mean, you'd be better off with Rocket Lake integrated graphics. I'm pretty Ironically, sure. there's probably a conversation you'll have later tonight that's not here that will change your mind about that. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Speaking of tonight, though, uh-huh. I do just want to say, like, I don't know if this will be a video version of the podcast, but there's just a bunch of 3090s and 3070 Ti's next to you. I mean, like, I mean, like, why don't you tell everybody why you have a bunch of graphics cards with you? Sure, sure. So um, we're set up here at the Carolina Game Summit um, in Raleigh, North Carolina, as a result of a partnership I had with a good friend of mine, Michael, from ITSS. He he basically said this year uh, the city of Raleigh is having us set up this big gaming convention that he's been running for 16 years out of Goldsboro. And this year, his uh, goal was to make it a blowout event. And uh, we worked really hard to make that happen. Um, it's, it's going on now in the middle of you know this podcast. Uh, that being said, uh, we decided to basically this month GPU inventory bring to the convention to sell to help people have a centralized location. They can come from everywhere and get a graphics card and play some games. Um, there's uh, like 
35 different game tournaments from everything from like tabletop magic the gathering to halo 2v2s all kinds of cool stuff and these gpus um, are very expensive and uh, i wanted to make them available throughout the whole convention so rather than have uh, all of them all at the booth all the time and make them very um swipeable we decided yeah. to secure here bring a few down every now and then and yeah we've been slowly them trickling them in over the next couple days that way uh it you know, A, everybody gets a chance throughout the couple days to get them. And then also uh, this keeps, you know, access to them limited and the amount at the booth at any given time, you know, relatively small. So but you're not like us. There's not a bunch of graphics cards next to you because you're a miner or scalper. No, no. Actually, one thing that we dealt with early on is miners just do not stop. They are belligerent sometimes in their demands. Well, yeah, um, but it's because they're actually making money off of it. So they have an incentive to care. Yeah, but when a guy drives up in like a Corvette and walks into my store and says, hey, sell me 13080s right now. And I'm like, no, because that customer is a problem. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think people realize they're like, oh, you'll make all 100 right now. And, you know, you don't have to deal with that. And I'm like, yeah. But the thing is, is that guy will buy those cards and never come back ever again. I'm never going to see him ever. Again. Right. And he's going to demand a discount because he's buying 100 of them. OK, mm -hmm. when you're buying wholesale, it's, it's the nature of wholesale, right? You're buying, you know, 50 of something versus one of something. But the thing is, is each one of these cards is a potentially happy gamer. That's a potential, you know, workstation PC somebody needs. This is a potential uh, even if a miner gets a card, at least that's 50 or 50 or 100 miners that got cards instead of one guy who got 100 cards. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, you know, like one hobbyist who has three in his house. Yeah. All yeah. 100 in a warehouse. Yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, like I, I can't tell you how many times we've had so many people that were so excited to be able to get a card. And it's really awesome to see that. Like when, when we first started doing in-store drops um, and we announced them preemptively, we had 150 people sleeping on the side of Bragg Boulevard waiting in line overnight. I announced it at 6 p.m. when we closed. By 7, there was people lined up. They slept all night in the rain outside my store on a one-day announcement. And it was a, it was crazy. that and, and every one of those people um, that were in that line that day, because well, there were so many, I didn't even have enough cards to supply them all. I ended up taking down a wait list for all the others and then getting right. them cards. So that way they didn't waste their whole night sitting there. And then we, we came up with a slightly better system where we started doing flash sales so that less people would show up at one time. Yeah, so I want to move forward with the conversation, though, kind of more out of the pre-built questions and um, like kind of more into the more business aspects of this. So John Easterling writes in and he asks, how does a new product launch affect business? Do you see a steep drop in sales prior to GPU CPU launches? And what do you do to mitigate that, if anything? So it depends. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I, at this point I have three solid data sets I can kind of lean on in terms of GPU. And then I'd say on CPU side of things, I have four now or five, pretty much this first gen Ryzen. So that's what, five generations of stuff. Um, on the GPU side of the house, it's no matter what happens, when a new GPU drops, it will instantly be sold out initially mm -hmm. and because there's just so much hype for the new product which i, I don't want to say like that really annoyed me um 
during the Ampere and RDNA 2 launches where people like, I got a lot of flack because they sold out and I said, well, they're going to still eventually ship a lot of cards. And it's just like, yeah, but every launch sells out, guys. So, like, what is your point? I never said yes. they weren't going to sell out. <laughs> yes. So, uh, 1080 Ti, right? Uh, 1080 mm-hmm. launch. Uh, shit, even the 1070 launch. Um, I don't remember the last launch that didn't. I don't know if the demand at launch was always as big as it has been in the past five years, but in at least in the past five years, it's. So, there is a weird anomaly in that period of time, which was the RX 580 launch. Yeah, you did not sell out when it first came out. Um, And it was weird because everyone was like, you know, oh, this is just the mid range stuff. So people, because there wasn't a Halo product, Mm -hmm. it didn't drive the same hype, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, I think think at the time, uh, Roger Kaduri was doing like demos of the Radeon uh, RX 580 with with like 4K Doom running Mm -hmm. Vulcan. And that was getting some insane frame rates because of. You know, asynchronous compute and the way that Vulcan. He was showing that with Vega a lot. Vega, Vega, yeah, as well. But the big thing was that it it could run it Mm -hmm. at like, and it was a two hundred dollar price point, right? Um, Well, Vega was at like a five hundred dollar. I'm talking about the RX five eighty. Oh, okay, okay. And so what ended up happening there is there was a lot of available inventory initially, and then miners started picking up on the fact that you could use them for cryptocurrency mining. And they went into a massive shortage. At one point, the RX 580, I think it was like five, $600. Yeah, it was priced almost to a 1070 because it mined almost like a 1070. Yes, and the 1070 arguably had a better resale value because it was a better gaming performance card and it's an NVIDIA card. So, you know, in the long span of things, uh, because of the way the market works, it's going to sell better after the fact. Um, but I built my whole company on RX 580s, and miners offloading them was mm-hmm. one of the best things that ever happened because. Oh, but now there's going to be all these people that say you're evil for selling a mining card. And it's so, just like, guys, the mining cards work. They work. So, okay, here's, here's, here's the thing. Is, <clears throat> I'm going to paint this picture for you, okay? You have two different RX 580s. One came out of a gamer system that was crammed under his desk, okay? That mm-hmm. and he smokes and he's got all tar yep. inside his computer. He never cleans it. It's a, a hot box with a bunch of glass because that was the big thing for a while, with no airflow, with one single fan blowing out exhaust because he built a pre-built or just used only the fans that came with the case. Okay. And then on the other side of that, you have a guy who is making money with the component. He has a genuine incentive to keep it as cool as possible using as little voltage as possible to reduce power consumption to save him money. Right. And he wants to maintain those components. Yes, yeah, he doesn't want them to break. He's making money. Money with them. it. Yeah. Exactly. So we found early on that mining cars really only suffered from two major issues, which were both fairly easy to mitigate. The first was if you had a card that was uh, coming out of a mining rig that was exposed to humidity. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, guys that were doing stuff in their garages, especially in the south here, yeah, where you have a lot of humidity coming in those garages, and they're blowing air just right across their shit. Sometimes what would happen is corrosion on either the PCB components sure. or the heatsink itself. But you could look at the heatsink or the or the back of the uh, cart and tell anything that was metal was rusting, and you're like, okay, this card has had humidity damage. Versus, um, you know. Again, the typical gamer situation. Now, that's not to say every gamer does that. And I've met more than you'd think that do that. 
Yeah, um, we, we've we've dealt with bugs, um, yeah. cat piss. I mean, this the list is hilarious sometimes. Um, literally, dudes had no side panel on. Cat walked by, sprayed the side of his computer. Graphics card got fried. We fixed it. Uh, Coke. I mean, people put their Coke, co- uh, Coke on top of their computer, which has ventilation on top. Coke spills over, spills inside. Yeah. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, and, and again, it's just two different perspectives. And and there is the other issue with mining cards, which is the VRAM tends to run a little warmer than you would typically have on a gaming load. Um, mm. It's not by much. It's just a little bit. But heat is ultimately the killer of electronics, right? Of what, the way circuits and everything. To a certain extent, though. I mean, you also, I mean, you could say the heat is the killer of anything, but like an engine's built to run at that temperature, you know. Well, and a card is built to run at that temperature. Just don't let it run at 110 Celsius because that so is when it takes damage. Voltage droop right like the drop off of voltage as um as as circuits expand from mm-hmm. heat cause this like weird effect where you basically have to pump more voltage into the circuit to deliver the same amount at the other end right and so for that to continue to keep happening on a component that's run hot versus one that's not run hot but it's, if it's at a consistent temperature there's less low. damage yes and that's why gaming cards break so, because I'm going to be honest, I, I I haven't been a big miner for a very long time, but and I never was a big miner, but okay. I had like six rigs in my house. None of my mining cards ever broke. The gaming cards sometimes did, and it's because the voltage changes, and that is what breaks cards. Low changes. Gaming is way worse for your cards than mining. I concur. Even in a Humidity is if it's a humid, that's the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's in a, but I lived up north, so in a consistent, not humid temperature, even if it's hot, it's not going to break. These things are built to run at ninety degrees Celsius. They really are. And by the way, and this is just a pet peeve of mine. Like when I see a tech tuber go, "Oh, I took apart a console, it runs at ninety five C." It's like, well, cool, it's built to. Like, you know, like, yeah. it's just, if it's, is it, you know, you don't want it at 110C and yeah, gaming things going to break before a server or a mining thing because they're running consistent it's, voltages. One of the best comparisons I've ever heard is, would you rather have a car with a bunch of highway miles or city miles? Yeah. I mean, that, that's honestly, gaming <laughs> is the city miles. That's it, is, it is the stop and go. Your, your, your frame rates are adjusting. Your card is constantly random, hitting random loads, explosions happening based on your random input the whole reason they're good at mining in general is because gaming hardware is literally good at solving random math (laughs) like Mm -hmm. that that is what it's originally intended for because number crunching happens at an incredible rate Mm -hmm. when you're playing a game and it's all based on random input which is you Mm -hmm. right where you look where you turn uh, what you shoot the whole the whole thing right um, so yeah, so ultimately mining cards, we, we like them a lot and we always, what we would do is we would refurbish every card, right? Uh, we had a validation process we would go through, right? Mm-hmm. Before we even buy a part from somebody, we, we have to test it. And that upsets a lot of people because they're like, well, why can't I just know what the price of something is? Uh, why do I have to bring it in? And because we had this situation early on where like people would call us and they're like, Hey, I have a RX 580 eight gig, uh, XFX, whatever. Um, or they would just say an RX 580 and they wouldn't give us any other information. And we're like, well, they generally go for this. And then they would wait a month, show up. It turned out to be an RX 560 with four gigs and, um, it's corroded to shit. And you're like, okay, that's not the same thing we talked about. And then they would get upset 
And we would have to tell them, be like, hey, we're like, it's not worth $200 or whatever we originally quoted you. So we started doing on-site stuff. And then we, when we started dealing with testing stuff on test benches, we had these customers that would come in and they're like, here's my, you know, perfectly good graphics card. And then you put Firmark on it for two seconds and it craps out. Yeah. And they're, and they're like, oh, you I've broke my stuff. I've never had any problem, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, you broke my stuff. So we had to, you know, start doing a waiver form and be like, hey, we're going to run Firmark on that son of a bitch for 18 hours. And it if it passes, we'll buy it. If not, and it, get, it stops working, then we're not responsible. And that turned away a lot of the people bringing, like, bad stuff in because mm-hmm. once they said they, they saw that they're like, Oh, well I can't get away with doing X. So then we, that one thing basically made sure that the stuff that was brought to us was working most of the time. Um, and then we would take apart the cards, repad them with new thermal pads, new thermal paste, clean the heat sinks. And then we'd load up for a mark again and run them for 18 hours straight. And that was our validation. If it could pass that, it was good. Um, occasionally you have a card or two that has like, VBIOS problems that will run for mark but will not run like it'll have problems mm. in a game but for every 100 cards that we would process one would have that issue and those individuals we would just replace with another card or refund them their money or whatever the situation was um, but it was just a miners would bring in cards that were in better condition more reliable ran at lower temperatures less leaching on the silicon pads that are uh, cooling the power delivery and everything else so generally we would prefer to buy them. Yeah, than, than gaming cards. There's yeah. a lot. Way less work, too. Yeah. Usually clean already. Like, yeah, you just brush them out real quick. They're used to probably, like, I'll speak for myself, selling more than one card. They're not just a guy. This is the one card he's sold in four years. I sold dozens of cards, so I don't have time to deal with a bunch of mad people. Also, I mean, I don't want to give someone a bad product, but, like, I would say, here's the Vega. I'm going to dust it. Take an alcohol swab, make sure it looks okay, and yep. I'm done. Uh, mining people tend to do that, whereas a gamer is just, oh, Here's my stuff. Yeah, it takes it out the day of, didn't do anything with it. There's dust bunnies all over it. And the other thing that we kind of realized uh, was you have this weird situation with, with people where they were like, well, this is way below market. We, we, we offer 70% of what market is, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, For on, used products. Because then you need to sell it again. Yeah, because I need to have a margin to sell this stuff in. And they're like, well, I can get more on eBay. And I'm like, be my guest. Sell it on eBay. I and want also, you to. eBay is going to take a 10% cut, by the way. And buddy. shipping. And you and have you, to deal with that customer. And you never and, know if that guy tries to screw you over. Yes. I kind of hate actually selling stuff on eBay. If I can, I prefer Craig's list because i've never had a bad and we tell them deal. we're like hey we're like <laughs> if you don't like our our quote that we gave you you can go sell it on craigslist facebook we, we recommend it to them um and some people take that information and they do well with it other ones yeah, it's like, not like your GameStop where you're like i want two dollars yeah yeah this, yeah this is know? not 250 yeah you're like i gave you're you like, giving them 70 percent yeah. i mean imagine going to GameStop and getting yeah like, so, yeah, getting, like, 40 bucks for your game instead of, they practically slap you in the face. Like, oh, we'll give you five bucks for the newest game. Yep. Yep. So, you touched on it a little bit, but I want, I'm want i wondering if you're willing to talk about it more. We've talked about this offline, but you said, can you talk about when you tried to do, like, a big mining deal for, like, hundreds of mining cards in China. Are you willing to talk about that? Yeah, Because I, I think this is an important story for gamers to understand right now as they hope for cards to become cheaper. Yeah, so I had a situation. Um, it was, I think, I, I don't remember the specific date. I think I actually tracked down the specific date for it. I think it was, like, 2018 or mm-hmm. something like that. 
when the big mining dump was happening. And, and normally, the mining dump happens uh, into Southeast Asia, okay, when the, when the Chinese market. From China, From yeah. China, yeah. So, obviously, different regions have their own mining dumps in different areas. But uh, when, like, China is now cracking down on cryptocurrency mining and creating issues for miners there, um, a lot of the, like, exchange that occurs there is kind of absurd, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're in another region. Okay. What I mean by that is like you have to hire a broker and pay them a brokerage fee. Um, when my specific situation is, I had a deal for a bunch of 10 ETIs, MSI cards. Uh, the and this key- was in 2018. Yeah. These are the Gaming X uh, variant, the one with the red heatsink double fan, mm-hmm. uh, twin frozer or whatever. Um, and we were looking to buy, I think it was a 40 or 50, something like that, units um, from a mining facility um, that was in like mainland China. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, um, at the time I was still in the military, so I had like issues with getting that, like to be able to even go there because there's a handful of places in the world when you have a security clearance, you can't go to, oh. uh, like North Korea and, you know, yeah, that one makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and, and I was in cyber, so it was like a double issue. Right. So I was like, well, you know, I, I want to do this because I have a great opportunity. And then I looked into doing it and I'm like, I need to find a guy that will help me get this stuff. He'll have to go there and like negotiate and broker the deal. And then I got to like get a shipping container and like load all this stuff in there. And I looked at cost of shipping containers and they're not nearly as expensive as they are now, which. Yeah. But uh, but at the time, I think what we ended up paying was like something like. Three hundred dollars, a ten eighty Ti, and you had to have someone in mainland China, China pick it up themselves, themselves, and then bring it to a dock. Yes, themselves, themselves. So that's three hundred dollars each, just that's, for the, just yeah. for the card, not including. This is twenty eighteen, and they were selling for like five hundred bucks on eBay at the time, or something. Yeah, like I think the specific model we had was going for like five twenty five when I brokered the deal. Okay, uh-huh. and this was, so you were thinking three hundred bucks. Oh, maybe we'll make a hundred bucks each or each, something. Yeah, like if we sold them at a discount. Great, because what one thing we do is like when we sell used products in our store, we look at eBay low and then just factor out the eBay fees. That's local price, right? Right. If the cheapest thing on eBay, like say it's a i7 of whatever, is a hundred dollars, and eBay takes a ten percent cut, well then locally it's ninety. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's the way I look at it because there's no reason to sell it for a hundred. Because if I sold it on eBay, then I'm going to lose that $10. Yeah. So the real price is $90. So at the time we were looking at it, we were like, okay, well, we can make a decent profit doing this, right? And 1080 Ti's were getting very hard to get. Um, it, it was a. It was right when they were. They wanted you to buy Turing. Yeah. And, and 20 series was not very compelling. There wasn't. Um, the 1080 Ti was the biggest problem for the 20 series in general, um, just because it was such a great value, ironically. I mean, it was a 2080 with more RAM. Yeah. And arguably, like for most gamers, it crushed like every title that they needed to play, especially yeah. if you're at high refresh rate or 1440. It overclocked better, too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, same price. It's like you almost picked RTX the RTX was a gimmick back then, basically. It still yeah. kind of is to a certain extent. And again, people will go, oh, well, the 2080 was 700 No, it wasn't. It was 800 Like, the founder's yeah. price was 800 That meant most AIB cards were at least Also, there wasn't to- a whole lot of 2080s ever made. They went to the Super almost instantly in mm-hmm. terms of, like, 
production. So the 2080 Super was really the the card that was made in mass volumes compared to the non-Super version. In hindsight. In hindsight, yeah. But at the time, um, we ended up paying, I think it was $1,000 to broker the deal. I had to wire money internationally um, to, it's like ordering something from Wish. You don't really know what's going to show up till the day it shows up, right? Yeah. A lot of stressful phone calls on WhatsApp to try to get a hold of people. Um, you, the inspection portion of things is insane mm-hmm. um, because you just get to look at it. There's right. No plugging it in, making it work, any of this stuff. Like, Does they all work? They all worked. Okay. This so was they amazing. Were, they were not liars. They were not liars. Okay. But. But in hindsight, they could have screwed you over. Yes. And uh, arguably, uh, the the broker is is a guy that is is fairly well known in Hong Kong that does that kind of work. Like, he does that kind of work. He He's guaranteeing that it's going to happen or that he's going to do his best to make the deal happen. Otherwise, he doesn't collect payment. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, the deal was done. Uh, we needed to get a shipping container. Shipping containers for one pallet are kind of ridiculous. So you mm-hmm. buy a chunk of an open container sure. to help reduce the cost. Yeah. So um, it, it was a tire. It was a bunch of tires, pallets of tires or oh. rows of tires inside of a container. You don't have any say in that. It's- no. Well, it was the cheapest deal. And I'm like, I need to I have import tariffs. I have to still deal with and all this other stuff. And now tariffs now just, again, are higher. Than higher they than they used to be. Exactly. And at, uh, I think at the time it was like 10, maybe 15%. I wish I had this in front of me so I could just like look it up. I, I wasn't prepared to speak on it because it's been years. But um, the big thing that ended up happening was once it came over, it took like a month. Mm-hmm. Um, once it came over, I had to like uh, negotiate docking fees. And like there's these crazy fees that come out of nowhere that are basically bribes. I, I would describe them as uh, to get stuff done. It's like, well, if you don't pay the expedition fee, it takes a month to get processed, but if you pay the expedition fee, it takes two days or something. It's 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 silly, um, the way it's done, and you have to broker it through you know uh, shipping channels, and then you got to load it up on a semi and then drive it across country to the East Coast because we're in North Carolina. Um, and I think after everything was said and done, we paid like either three seventy five or four hundred a card. Maybe it was higher than that. It was maybe it was like four twenty five. And at the time, the when we did the initial deal, it was like, oh, they're going for five fifty. And then the mining market was starting to pop a little bit, so the price started trickling down. And I basically barely broke even at the right. end of it all. Like after all that work, I, I had and, and 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 people need to remember, it's like okay, so let's even say you made fifty dollars each. It's not like you pressed a button and made fifty dollars. This was a lot of work, hours, phone calls, worrying. worrying. Yes, yeah. I. I'm pretty sure it contributed a little bit to my freaking uh, bald spot a little bit. Like at the time, uh, it was the biggest deal I ever had um, in terms of stuff. Like I had, I had one other buyer helping me source the uh, buy some of the inventory because we were like, well, we can get in on this together, mm-hmm. and it will help break down the cost because the more units we buy, the less per unit cost, right? Um, and then uh, the other issue was the the cars themselves. Some of them had corrosion damage. Mm-hmm. Um, like, tr- uh, like there was like these. I don't know, like it looks like rust, but aluminum doesn't rust. So I think it's like galvanization or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, if you expose aluminum to humidity, especially the thin metal on heat sinks, 
um, they tend to like produce some sort of oxidation on the surface. Sure. It doesn't affect yeah. the performance whatsoever, but well, maybe it does a little bit, like maybe a degree or probably two. a tiny bit. Yeah, but um, it's not aesthetically pleasing. Um, right. And so what we ended up doing is we had to repaste every card. Um, redo every, more hours of work. Yeah, uh, clean every card out just because we were trying to see if we can get rid of some of the stuff like the corrosion. We were like, oh, maybe this is just like caked up dust because it's the first time we really dealt with that. Um, and then we were like, okay, uh, we had to buy the thermal pads, which at the time we were partnered with Arctic. So luckily we had their thermal pads at a decent rate. Uh, we could buy these big 290 millimeter thermal pads uh, of different thicknesses that we could cut to size mm-hmm. instead of buying the little little squares that are not very cost effective um, if you're doing that many cards. And so, um, yeah, and, and when it was all said and done, we got the cards, we made barely enough to break even or just over that like i'm talking like maybe ten dollars a card kind of situation um after all the fees all the shipping building them into uh some systems because we had to convince customers like when you present this option to a customer at the time i think a new 1080 ti on the like uh, marketplace if you want to call that you know new egg marketplace amazon marketplace was like 899 yeah i believe so yeah it was like it rose to above 2080 prices eventually at one point yeah um and so we're like, well, we can give you this refurbished 1080 for like 450 mm-hmm. and build you a whole system with it. And, and then you're like, we've tested it. Yeah, we've tested it, we've firmarked it, and we'll do a three-year warranty. That's how confident we are about the 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 component. I would take it in a second. I'm yeah. Like, oh, and a three-year warranty? Sure. Yeah. Done. So if there's a problem, no, no issues. We'll warranty it out, right? Yeah. Um, there is no manufacturer warranty there, right? Um, and out of all those cards, I've only had one ever come out. Yeah. And it wasn't even an issue of the card failing. What it was was the power supply blew. Oh. Um, because there was a lightning strike in his neighborhood. Um, but what we ended up doing is uh, there's a thing you can do, and, and I don't know. Okay. If you can explain that the power supply was the cause of the problem in a certain situation um, that damaged something else. This is also true about water coolers. If a water cooler like leaks on your graphics card and mm-hmm. fries your graphics card, if it was a failure of that component, um, you can then take that to the manufacturer. The manufacturer will cut your check. Like Corsair, if they made the water cooler, they will, they will cover uh, it. Yeah, I had this happen with a deep cool water. I've cooler. heard about that before too. Yeah, I had a deep cool water cooler once fail on my own personal system. It was the Captain 240EX. Um, and it was a very popular cooler at the time. It had like a little tube coming out of it and it leaked around the gasket and it fried my 5700 XT Nitro Sapphire. Mm-hmm. And I was very upset about that. I reached out to them. I had to send off my card to them. And then they issued me an Amazon uh, credit for the dollar amount that it was going for on Amazon. And I got a new one. But about those mining cards, mm-hmm. to close out that conversation. And I've already talked about this in, I think, numerous podcasts and videos, uh, but I just want to be very clear again to everyone listening. Mm-hmm. Those $270.30 60s that people are like, oh, they're about to flood the market, they will not at a reasonable price, especially when you consider tariffs are up, shipping is up. Uh, I, I would imagine those aren't getting to the U.S. without selling for about 400 And these are used mining cards. These are not the brand new ones. And that you're lucky if they're four. Yeah, they're probably gonna hit the market like 450 if they did, and they'd more likely sell in Asia before they even got here anyway. So like, they're they're not saving us. I'm not saying mining 3060s can't eventually help. It's just the ones you're seeing right now. 
in a bunch of clickbait articles, those those ones aren't going to do shit. So the, my favorite one is on on Tom's Hardware. There's like a photo of a mining rig with like eight Gundam 3080 editions. Oh. Um, and they're like, oh man, these are going to flood the streets. So I'm like, no, they're not. No, they're not, man. <laughs> like, it's absurd. They probably made like 10,000 units of those, if that. All right, of that specific skew, and uh, and they got a bigger distribution of them in, in Asia because you know it's it's a, closer. It's already there too. And yeah. and Gundams are from Japan, right. right? And that's where the Gundam factory is. I'm sure Japan had the lion's share of that. I mean, there's a new MSI 3070 coming out. I'm I'm begging him, pleading MSI to try to get me. It's a a Godzilla edition 3070. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like, oh, it's only for the Japanese market. And I'm like, MSI, I'll build you a, a MSI or a, a, a Godzilla MSI themed computer and send it to your headquarters. Just and I'll film the whole thing and put it on YouTube. Just please let me get some of these cards. Yeah. And they're uh, they're they're still debating it. So we'll we'll see if that happens. Um, but yeah, absolutely. These th this 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 perception that there is a flood happening. Is a perception now. There's a and it great, makes for clicks. Well, they, not just that; it does affect the market. Perception is reality. Right. But there's that phrase that we used to say that a lot in the military is the way that people perceive what you're doing is the reality of the situation. Right. Um, a lot of times, because you might not be. Yeah, it'll doing, be comment. Yeah. It will become it through what other people see, right? If they see this thing, they will just make that connection and assume it's the truth. And what's weird about it is, obviously, the market at this point is stabilized to a certain point. It's The prices are pretty much staying where they're at for a little bit. Uh, we'll see what happens leading up to Christmas. My expectation, actually, is it's going to get worse. But... Um, and, I, and I'm not happy. It's the holiday season, you know, like it's. And, and I'm not happy with that. I'm a gamer. I want gamers to get stuff. But the thing is, is like there is a, a whole market behind these things that isn't perceived by end users, um, especially when it comes to like backdoor pricing that isn't apparent on websites. You know, no matter what platform I use for a main benchmarking station, one thing that I always know will be true is that a long-term sponsor of mine, CDK Offers, will most likely be providing the keys. CDKOffers.com is a keys website with legitimate keys that supplies PlayStation, Xbox, and Windows software keys at a reasonable price for what you're paying for. Nobody wants to overpay for anything, including over $100 for Windows. You don't need to get a legitimate professional key of Windows 10 for a reasonable price from cdkoffers.com. And make sure you use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get a big discount on Windows software and DieShrink to get a reasonable discount on everything on the website. Go to cdkoffers.com today and make sure they know Moore's Law is Dead sent you. Okay, so you've been talking, you just started talking about where prices are going to go. I just want to launch this into an entire discussion about the market forces going on right now, pricing. I mean, you, you've seen the script ahead of time. I, I, you know, I've done the NVIDIA's Ultimate Play article, as you're aware of, NVIDIA's RTX 3060 Flood, which I would almost say is a follow-up to the Ultimate Play article, really just like talking about what's really going on behind the scenes. With availability, pricing, MSRP, what it actually costs to make these cards. I mean, uh, I'm. you know, here's what I'm gonna do. 
I'm going to just name the six subcategories of things I want us to touch on in this conversation and then go into wherever you want. I mean, and, and let me just finish all six right here. Okay. NVIDIA not producing reference models in any real numbers for Ampere. NVIDIA's misleading drops on Best Buy of those reference models. NVIDIA not making any real profit on reference models, hence why they don't want to make them. AIB's being forced to be the bad guy and sell above MSRP. That was on purpose. AMD producing a lot of RDNA 2 cards for, RDNA, for AIBs at first, but then not ramping up production really outside of their drops on their website, upcoming massive increases in volume, and if MSRP on mid-range or lower cards will go lower at all consistently in the foreseeable future. Like, And I, and I say consistently because... Look, I think you're going to find cards in MSRP every now and then. People get lucky. You know, my yep. friend did with 6700 yes. XT. <clears throat> and I wouldn't be surprised if the RTX 3090, some of them do get closer to MSRP in a couple months. But those always had absurd margins. You yes. Know, right. But these mid-range and lower cards, I do not see hitting MSRP. Maybe ever for some of them like the 3060 is the perfect example i mean all the stuff i've talked about i i, I don't know can i get some props real quick <laughs> actually can you reach over and hand me a 3060 from over there well I have, what do we got we got a yeah here's one all right cool. he's got so many of these dang cards lying around here. sorry there's a lot to, to, to choose from um uh, the, the reason i want to touch on the 3060 is it's a particularly interesting situation because of the vram situation right um but um there is a lot to unpack in all those statements. Mm -hmm. um, I think the thing that's easiest to talk about is the the situation with founders and what like what founders edition means. Okay, right. Um, <clears throat> there's this like idea that founders edition cards are made during the entire production cycle of the components. Right. Um, and if you look at previous launches, even da dating back to like 980 Ti and like. Uh, even 780 Ti cards, back when it was just the reference model, uh, there mm -hmm. was no Founders Edition. Um, <clears throat> NVIDIA was always on this warpath to be able to produce a card that they could sell initially at launch at a very high, they'll know to sell every single one of them, and make a bunch of money doing it, and then deliver to the AIBs, who would then come up with their custom board models, but they would capture those initial sales. That was their like yeah. business model. Especially like starting with Pascal, to my memory. Yeah. The 10 I, they, series. They really did it with, uh, I would say as far back as the that weird like G-Force blower style cooler that came on the 780 and the 780. Yeah, well, the Titan, you could argue, they could. Well, yeah, that always well that's always be, that, well. Yeah. There's there's okay. there's a weird situation with some generations with EVGA. I think there were certain ones that were made by EVGA on behalf of Nvidia. And the thing to remember with all this is Nvidia doesn't make graphics cards. Mm -hmm. They make uh, the design, right? <laughs> and then and then someone makes the die, and someone makes the cooler, usually Cooler Master. And then you have all these different um, different people who make all the other parts for the Founders Edition. Um, and what's like, you got to understand, like copper is two to three times the price it used to be. Um, if you know, Mushkin at this conference has been very vocal about that. Um, and it's affecting PCB costs substantially. Mm -hmm. And, and same thing with, uh, aluminum prices are ticking up. Like it's actually profitable to scrap aluminum for the first time in a very long time. Um, I think over like a decade. Um, so there's component costs that are continuing to increase in price and the MSRP on founders has not changed, at least officially. Right. And if you go to, if you get into the 
those Best Buy drops and you wait outside and there's like 20 or 30 cards that you're, depending on the tier of your Best Buy, there's like five different tiers of Best Buys. Uh, reason I know this, I have a former Best Buy employee who works for me and he's kind of given me the explanation on how it works. But basically, depending on how many sales your store does, it gets a certain tier right. rating and then it gets... It's so the same with car dealerships. Like um, in Nashville, you know, there's like one of the better, I forget which one, like luxury car dealerships in the country. So they get the cooler trims of the car because they know they'll actually sell those crazy expensive trims. Yep. And same thing with like the 3090, right? Like uh, you might get some, your local Best Buy in a small town might get like some 3060s, 3070s. They're not going to get They're not going to, they might not get a single third, or they might get one or something like yeah. that. Something that's like meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Um, but the, uh, the, the the point with the founders is like, from my understanding, and I might be incorrect in this, but I've had like two different people tell me this now from different parts. I was like, what the deal is with founders? Because I, I, I've i always asked to buy founders. I want to carry founders at launch. They're cool. They're I have cool. one. Yeah, they have a nice they're, finish. They're very The premium. build quality is... Absurd. Absurd. Yeah, and like, they're not big. There's They've so much been small cases. Plastic on this that does that feels like plastic. Versus, mm-hmm. and, and don't get me wrong, this is a beautiful card. Uh, the 3060 is a well. Today's you know, plastic is way higher quality than from what I remember. But the aluminum that comes on the founders, that finish yeah. is insanely yeah. high quality, and they they have to be making them at either nowadays with the the amount of manufacturing mm. involved at or just below what they're being sold for, mm-hmm. okay? And there was initial, for my, again, when Founders Edition dropped, I went to all my distributors and I'm like, hey, can I get Founders Edition? This is back in the 30 yeah. series launch um, because that was the only card initially available at launch is usually Founders, mm-hmm. okay? There's maybe a handful of partner models that are paper launch, but they're not actually available yeah. to buy. Um, and they're like, no, it's a Best Buy exclusive. You're right. And I've heard this from other people. And I was like, well, what do you mean it's Best Buy exclusive? Like, why can't I buy it? I'm, I'm a NVIDIA partner. I, you know, I, I uh, partner with all these other companies. What, why can't I get the founders? And they're like, the contract is only for Best Buy. And I was like, okay, well, what is, you know. What Which is, is weird for everyone listening. Yeah, like but that is. not Micro Center? Okay. Or, or Amazon, it's only Best Buy. Yeah, or Newegg, yeah. Or Newegg, yeah. Like, and I think there was a small batch that got to Newegg for a certain submodel, like one of the, like it might not be the 3070, but like the 3070 Ti or something like that. There was a small group that went over there. But um, from my understanding, Best Buy never got their fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Like they were contracted to get like, let's just say hypothetically, like 25,000 units. That's not the actual amount, but like, just say that was what, and they got grossly under delivered out of that. Mm-hmm. And it would have cost NVIDIA more money to not fulfill the contract because there was like cancellation penalties than it would have been to produce them at a loss and give them to Best Buy. So they made their margin Yeah, and then sell them at the MSRP. Which I can assure people, well, first of all, two things. Number one, that Ultimate Play article, you were not one of my sources. I had never talked to you a year ago, mm-hmm. you know, and no, like, no. like, you know, for these articles I've written, I've been so excited to talk to you recently because your input was not the same exactly as what I heard, but you had some really specific details. Some I had never even said publicly because I was told I couldn't. That was exactly what I was told by other people, which is this. And, and that's the founders cards were made at a loss on purpose because they yes. look cool. They perform well They're They can fit in compact cases for reviewers. And that's because NVIDIA knows if you have the coolest card on review day for a price. It doesn't matter if you never make any of them. You're not losing any money. 
There is a discussion that uh, was it the thirty seventy Ti founders did not thirty seventy yeah it was, I believe so yeah it just didn't exist oh no the thirty seventy Ti founders maybe yeah. that was the one that like there there was only review samples and it did not ever exist on paper until the drop like a month ago that happened at Best Buy and that was the fulfillment of their contract from my understanding. There is no more of those. Now, there might be some like. And I have a 3070 founders. Yeah. And I know that some people who work at some Best Buys have seen like a palette of them. Understand that's the palette you're seeing, <laughs> you know? And you probably work at one of the. High tier, like a tier five, five. Yeah, yeah, four, yeah, out of the out of their five scores. Don't scale. expect to keep seeing those. But reaching back to the 780 and the 780 Ti, and the reason I brought them up in the first place is the way that uh, Nvidia switched from the reference board design, right? Because what used to happen is you would get the reference design as you know, say your MSI or something yeah. like that, and your initial cards you launched, you would usually do blower style cards. So if you had a card like uh, the Aereo from MSI or the Turbo, I think is the other one that Asus makes, that yes. is just a reference PCB. Well, I think Aereo is MSI. And MSI. then and Turbo is Asus, yeah. yeah. So um, that like cheap blower style cooler that just has a single fan mm-hmm. blown out is just a redone uh, Founders cooler, right? Um, now, later on, they ended up doing vapor chambers for the Founder cards, and those help with thermals and stuff like that. But um, the, the important thing is they're using the same exact PCB. And what it was is to give the board partners, here, this is the basic design that you want to build off of. And once they did their initial wave of reference cards, they never made them again. Like, right, because each um, AIB will do their own iteration. Like, we actually want to make it a little bigger to fit this cooler. We actually think we can cut some costs. We design the PCB this way. Or maybe cram some more power delivery and overclock it a little bit. That's yeah. the OC model or whatever. It's not bad that they don't make the reference model. It's just now I feel like things have flipped on their heads where you have some of the reference models being overbuilt, crazy, well-made things that can't be made at a profit. <laughs> yeah, and there's also the issue of that 12-pin connector um, on the on the. 30 series in general on the founders cards like i there's some times that nvidia has made decisions that like arguably are very forward thinking mm-hmm. but they're just because they have so much of the market share they're trying to pour, push a certain standard onto everybody and so with the founders card it is a founders edition right you're the founder you're the beginning wave that is the concept behind it uh you're you're an early adopter Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there is. I don't understand where in the last like year and a half the perception came about, based on previous generational launches, that the Founders Edition will be continued to be made indefinitely during the product cycle. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. That's um, true. It, because you just got to look at the history of it, right? Seven series, seven hundred series didn't happen. That well, way. you know, uh, you know, I think. Um, if I may, I, I I think people just wish they kept being made because they're so cool. <laughs> I think they are. I don't know so much that they expect it. So also much the price, they, right? Like that the, the MSRP. The yeah, like yeah. they're like, oh, it's the card you can get at MSRP, and it's like, yeah, but they're only making a handful of them, and the, and there are a lot of people that will go, well, wait, why does it cost more? It's you know uh, this this one you know this thirty ninety cools better although I don't know it does I think the thirty ninety founders actually cools crazy well compared from what yeah. I my hardware unboxed but I mean like not the the memory I think has a few issues on the back but everything else but that's a, an issue it's with, like, like this giant triple slot yeah there's an issue with a lot of thirty nineties where the memory on the back is having overheating problems which can be fixed as long as there's a metal back plate and you add some high high conductivity 
thermal pads. We've but, done that repair on so many 3090s. Like, we have customers buy brand new cars and they're like, can you repad my card? Like, let, me see, <laughs> let me see, is there a, well, there's 3070 Ti. Looking for 30. 91 or 30. 30 no more 3070. Get one of those. Sweet. You need Show off how many cards you have. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so like, I feel like a total asshole with all these sitting next to me, but uh, they're for a convention and we but, are dealers. So. But so people will say to me, oh, the 3070 isn't, you know, reference isn't that great. I mean, look at this one here. This one in review is cool is better. I'm like, yeah, look. Look at it. It's three fans. It's gigantic. gigantic. Of course it cools better than my Founders 3070. It's yes. also over twice as big. Yes. And it's and, almost twice as much too nowadays. Yeah, and it's like so you gotta understand that like when I say the 3070 reference wasn't making almost any money. Although I think the 3070 founders probably made a slight profit. The 3080 was more of the issue, but it's because they managed to have it cool well in something half as big as that. Yes. Using very expensive like metals and stuff. Also, just the design of that PCB is so non-traditional. Yeah, I mean, it's I like mean, tiny. It's yeah, like a Fury it, Nano. A, I was size. about to say that. When I saw it, I was like, that looks like a Fury Nano. And they're going to have it at a weird shape, which... Yeah, I the Dorito. Say. We call it the Dorito. <laughs> yeah, I, so you can blow the air straight through it, though. Yeah. I mean, I did some PCB design in college, and I try, everyone just made the, the... The challenge was make this, like, one circuit with, like, a bunch of lights light up in a certain shape, and everyone went for these, like, normal squares or, like, a Christmas tree. And I was like, I want to make mine a smiley face that's really small. Like, how small can I make this? And it almost didn't work because the traces were too close together yes. and stuff. So that's more expensive that NVIDIA made the PCB smaller. Smaller, yes. That, that is why the founders isn't making money. It, it's 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 overly engineered. The finish is incredibly high quality. Incredible um, finish. It's yeah, just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I know we keep talking about the stupid finish, but if you rub your hands across the founders, it's like... It's ridiculous. It's like, it's weird, man. I don't know what they made the or how they got that coating. But it is bizarrely like premium feeling. I mean, it feels like, and some people may not like this comparison, but like a MacBook Air or something. That yeah, kind of same kind of metal aluminum. feel. Yeah, but I'd say it's even nicer than that. Yeah, it is. It's even it's, nicer than that. Like I don't Mac. know how they managed to beat the Apple finish. Mac metal. Yeah, yeah. The Mac metal, whatever that, that aluminum finish they do, they somehow managed to beat that. But yeah, so yeah, so that that statement with the with the founders cards is pretty much like it's it's a thing where it's done for like obviously there's contracts to be fulfilled, orders to be fulfilled that existed prior to now. Um, but they're like founders cars historically do not continue to be produced after the original quarters were launched in. Mm -hmm. So the fact that there is founders cards being dropped now is unusual. Mm -hmm. And there's a reasoning behind that that exists, not because NVIDIA has it in the graciousness of their hearts, it's because they have certain requirements they need to meet, contracts they need to meet. Um, and a lot of it has to do with their exclusivity with Best Buy, at least based on the knowledge I've gathered from talking and asking to buy these things. This is the reason I was told no. Mm -hmm. um, now on the uh, on the on, you know on the flip side of that, um, the the Best Buy distribution of price. I'm not quite sure why that is, unless the contract dictated those price had to exist. Yeah. So like Best Buy knows they can sell them for more. So why aren't they selling them for more? And the 
I think that that there's like a two double-edged blade to that situation where Nvidia had to deliver on certain things and Best Buy had to sell them at a certain price kind of situation. So they can say it's the MSRP. Let's be honest. Yes, um, I, I, you know I do have some 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 green overlords that I do have to appease at times, so I have to be careful not to uh, be too negative about it. But it does feel that way, definitely. And I don't know, I don't know ever for but sure. From my perspective, that's why I think it's so important to point out that if you, there isn't something being sold from a main website consistently for one price, that MSRP doesn't really mean anything, you know? There's this argument that I've made to people in the past, because we do sell well above EVGAs on MSRP, right? Um, and to understand, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, the 3090, we sell for, like, 1999 or something mm-hmm. like that, which is a fairly reasonable price considering the current market. Sometimes they're 3000 on eBay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, they're, and the market is substantially higher than that. But that being said, um, you know, the and it's because we're trying to be decent, a decent company and trying to supply inventory to gamers and other people. At where we can make a living and obviously still like be decent people, right? Um, now the again the issue with it is is Nvidia makes us take the bad rap for selling them at these prices, and it's, it's that's it, on purpose. Yes, yeah, and and it's the thing where like if I uh, you know if I buy a component at X price and I sell it at a higher price than MSRP. Um, I'm painted as the bad guy, so I had to come up with an explanation for that, or at least a, a rationale to explain to people. And there's this is what I, I argue is is if something is on sale from the MSRP, like below the price, you're not upset about that, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Like if a TV is supposed to be 500, but it's on sale for 350, you're excited about that. You're happy, right? That's good. But then when the market forces in play do the opposite of that, you get upset about that when it's the same market forces, just a different direction, mm-hmm. right? So when prices are above MSRP, especially one that was launched a year ago, yeah, like a lot of people are looking at the 6600 XT MSRP of being 380 as like, this is not good compared to the 329 3060. And I'm like, the 329 3060 doesn't exist because that was what NVIDIA suggested the price start at for like the most bare bones possible card you could build and is evga really gonna like build a card of the quality of like dell you Mm -hmm. know where it's just a green pcb with the crappiest cooler you could stick on there and like the most basic vrms that meet the spec right that get validated but they're just really not high quality no they're gonna build a product that they're proud of to sell Mm -hmm. and that product is gonna cost more than that 329 and it's gonna continue to cost more than 329 and and frankly i I'll say I don't know what Nvidia was thinking with the 3060. Uh, I mean, this card is a conundrum and it's a problem now than it was at launch. Yeah, because at launch it wasn't a big deal. There mm-hmm. wasn't really a problem with it, but the fact that it has 12 gigs of DDR6, which is now over ten dollars a gigabyte. Yeah. So think about it. That's hundred and twenty dollars in just VRAM. <laughs> and that was an extra sixty over if it was just six gigabytes. Like There's usually, a- you're buying a. 80 series card to get this much VRAM, mm-hmm. 1080 Ti or like a 2080 Ti. Yeah. Like, well, it, I mean, a Titan, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, and, and people, I just put out a video where I reviewed the 3060 and talked about how, like, because my understanding going all the way back to 2020, I think Gamers Nexus actually did an even more in depth report on the 3060 was the original card was going to be. 
I mean, it was gonna be as high of a price as they could get away with. It was, I think, probably originally planned to be around $320 and be six gigabytes. And then they caught, and then they saw how well Navi 21 did, and they're like, ooh, we're worried they're gonna make a 12 gigabyte card for 350. <laughs> so they gave it 12 gigabytes. And they there were early models that had six gigabytes, and they were trying to push it down to 250. In fact, I heard about them considering making that the 3050 Ti with six gigabytes. Yes. Some people. Yes. Um, actually, there is a 3050 Ti already on mobile. Well, well yeah. Yeah. Um, but and it, it also exists in such mild volumes as basically non-existent. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, like, I, I, literally, I, I remember uh, reading in an extreme PC forum on Facebook the other day. It was like, hey, does anyone have any benchmarks for a 3050 Ti mobile? Like, ever, anywhere? They're like, there's not even one registered on any benchmarking site. Like, They're was, starting to show up now. Now, but like, this is like two weeks ago, and I'm like, I haven't even seen any laptops for sale with them because I'm a Lenovo and HP dealer, and I haven't seen any laptops with 3050 Ti's available. Um, I've seen some of the new mobile... Although, I think 3050 Ti is based on GA107 now, not 106, if I remember correctly. I think it's a 4... Gigabyte card, so it is a four. It is four gigabytes for a fact. But what I heard is that they were either gonna what, the original plan, right? Again, it was like three twenty for a six gigabyte card. Then they saw AMD and they went, okay, let's see if we can make it two fifty. AIB said we're not gonna profit at two fifty with this, so you can't yes. do that. And so then they said, well, we'll give it twelve gigabytes, which I guess it, I'm gonna be honest. At the time, I don't think it made sense, <laughs> like because it makes the okay. whole lineup look silly, eight, but. Eight. Okay, made a little bit of could have okay, maybe eight, um, but like. But you can't do that with the bus, so it's one ninety two. Yeah, so. yeah, six. Honestly, six was the right place for it. What what I believe they should have done is given it as fast GDR six as they can get away with, and just made it like three hundred. And you know, if they would have done that, but how much capacity would you would you been suggesting at that point? Six gigs? No, six gigs, okay. but make it faster, push the speeds, try to make the performance as high as possible. I mean, it's already cannibalizing the thirty sixty Ti. You're going to cannibalize it even more. <laughs> no, it, it's never going to be within fifteen percent. I just and the extra two gigs would make people go to the thirty sixty Ti. So that is another thing uh, to the casual computer enthusiast that may not know about like the difference between a thirty sixty. And 3060 Ti. The 3060 Ti looks inferior. It's weird because it, it's got a smaller number, right? That the whole concept of like this has 12 and that well, has and 10. I suspect Nvidia was considering launching a 16 gigabyte of the third. Well, they were. I know they mm. were. They were. They were considering launching 16 double capacity versions of everything to go along with the 3060, and then demand kept going up, and they were like, no, no, no. Yeah, because VRAM went up, but it's too late. They already launched the 12 gigabyte 3060, and they were like. Yeah, um, like really, I'm sure they regretted it the day it came out. The, the, the there's also a pricing situation with these cars. It's kind of a problem. Like the price difference between this and an entry level 3060 Ti. I think it costs more to make one of those than a 3060 Ti. By the way, I wouldn't be surprised if that. Or at the, the very least, it's very close. close. That's it's what I was going to tell you because right now, like in terms of dealer pricing, they're almost the same. Yeah, it's good, and, and and it's because they cost about the same to make now because of exploding GDR six costs, and and well, that and that's well, the funny we, thing. Well, we just just to, to just touch on that before you get on that, um, the, the our solution to that problem because they're basically essentially the same price is we started carrying low end thirty sixties, which are like the entry level models, and then the the premium F, uh, like the FTW three versions of the TI. Mm-hmm. So that way, there's at least like some differentiation of the product stack. Um, but it, it is a, a I don't know how it will continue stacking. 
chatting up in the future because uh, <laughs> I think they're going to launch a six gigabyte version anyways and phase out some of the production. Of I that. mean, it's, they should. It's, un, it's not unprecedented. You look at the 1060. There was like five, six versions of that card um, with all kinds of VRAM capacities. Um, the, the three gig, the slower three gig. Um, Did they make a faster three gig? And then they, they made, made one with GDR five X. Yeah. yeah, and then they made a, a. Well, there was also a gimped one. I don't know if mm-hmm. you know about that one. It was like a one with like really, really slow memory that was used by OEMs. Oh, um, I didn't know about that one. Yeah, and then there was the the Chinese uh, esports one that or cafe the one, five gig the five one. gig and then the six gig which we're all familiar with. Um, but yeah, like it's not unprecedented for them to make another model with a different VRAM capacity. It just sucks that there's nothing really fulfilling that sub four hundred dollar price tag. Right. Um, it, it is which I want to jump in then. Okay. I think what people need to understand is, and I said this in my thirty sixty analysis, like the sixty and my um, the logical conclusion of the market pricing video, where I said, look, the the, the sixty six hundred XT is priced at three hundred and eighty dollars because it's competing with the street price of the thirty sixty, not the MSRP. And that thirty sixty is never going below four hundred on average. I don't think, at least not for months now. Probably not so, till next year. And so the third, the sixty six hundred XT is probably going to be about the same price on the street, and it will be notably stronger. So I, because I'm a dealer, right? There's kind of three different prices for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is the dealer price, which is what you know what pricing is negotiated between ma- uh, manufacturer and distribution and and myself, right? And then you're looking at street prices, like what uh, people are you know, selling things for on eBay or Amazon or Newegg. And you always see on Amazon Newegg, the pricing will always be higher compared to eBay because they're a more legitimate marketplace. There's higher consumer trust in those platforms. Mm -hmm. So there will always be at a higher price if there's a seller on there because there's consumer protections that are better than on eBay. Um, And then you'll see like eBay and StockX tend to be very close to each other, right? Um, So the, the... the MSRP versus dealer price is the biggest problem for me as a reseller, right? Because, um, and, and anyone who's trying to run a business that builds computers right now, because um, if I look at these products coming out and I'm like, hey, you know, the 6600 XT looks very compelling. Let me buy that. I'm never going to get that as a dealer. That doesn't happen now. Mm-hmm. If you look at the launch prices of Radeon in general, it's caused huge problems um, compared to what they're selling for now because everything on Radeon has gone up in price. So, like, if you look at the product stack on Radeon, you have the 6600 XT at, like, the 380 price tag. The 67 XT was supposed to compete with the 3060, correct? Mm-hmm. And then the 3060 Ti competitor was the 6800 non-XT. 6700 non-XT. 3060 Ti to 6700. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you had the 6800 XT competing against the 3080, mm-hmm. um, and then the 6900 XT arguably competing against the 3090. I would say successfully, but you know. I Listen, I run a 6800 XT in my home rig. I, I love Radeon. The volume that isn't there, that's one problem with, with Radeon, and we could talk about that later. But um, one, one of the bigger issues with this product stack coming out of Radeon is the pricing looks great on paper. Which 
let me stop you there. Beefish writes in and he says, in the retail market, we were recently seeing NVIDIA AIB cards marked up an average of around 50% over MSRP. Well, AIB cards were marked up much more, 100% or more in some cases. Was this true of wholesale units as well? Was there any discussion with AIBs or distributors as to why this was the case? Why are AIB AMD cards being marked up on average so much more percentage-wise? So there's a couple different things that are causing that. Um, there's actually two, primary one. Um, distributors realized very early on um, that they could ask whatever the hell they wanted for parts. And that's what I was told last year as well, is that Ampere was pushed to be sold for more as AIB models and people bought them, and then they said, well, we're going to charge more for AMD, whether AMD wants us to or not, because we can. So at one point, I remember distinctly, and this left a really sour taste in my mouth, uh, I had a distributor call me, um, and he's like, hey, I got a Zotac 3060 for $780, which Zotac in our tiering is considered lower than like somebody like EVGA or ASUS because their component trees only carry a two-year warranty versus a three-year warranty, right? So I look like if I'm paying the same price for a 3060 between the two, I'm getting less from Zotac than I do with an EVGA card. Also, EVGA has a more recognized brand in the North American market. So when I'm being offered a 3060 Zotac from Central Distribution for $760, which is double over double the yeah. original intended MSRP, and this was like the the twin edge, the like super basic one that they made. Mm-hmm. And I had to buy two power supplies with it. It was like a slap to my face, and I was like, no, and I just hung up. Yeah. And um, and at the time, I, I was getting very minimal amounts of inventory. I was in a very large partner. Um, and I just like there's no way I can ever look a guy in the face and be like, yeah, I need to charge you like eight hundred or nine hundred dollars for this card. Yeah. Because I have to factor in the cost of the power supplies because they make you buy like crappy power supply sometimes, and you're like. Well, I don't want to buy those power supplies. And you're like, what am I going to do with the second power supply? Say I use the first one in a system build. What do I do with the second one? I just have it as a spare. But then some distributors got really, really bad with it. Like at one point, it was five to one, where you had to buy five power supplies or five motherboards to get one video card. Mm-hmm. And in the SI world, that is a way to bankrupt yourself. Mm-hmm. Because when you're building systems, you have to have components yeah. In relative, you can make do if they make you take a PSU. You're probably going to use it in yes. a system. But if you're buying five, you're just stuck with excess power supplies. And there's about to be a reckoning for the power supply market that's going to happen very shortly because I literally know so many SIs that have like warehouses of power supplies. At one point, they said they would literally call the distributor and we would have these conversations because we all work together. But they would tell me, they say, I called them. I said, I'll pay for the power supplies. Just keep them. I have no more room for them. Just send me the video card. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like buying five extra power supplies for the They're video like, card. Yeah, I'll just give you the, can I please just, just pay, pay more for the card? And not yeah. have to take the power supplies. Yes. And uh, and that was uh, a situation. And then uh, there was another thing where uh, they, would, they would do this thing where they would offer um, way beyond what you would consider for like a normal retail price for components that were exclusive. Like Mm -hmm. say you had like a white Strix 3090 or something that was very high demand. They would just charge absurd prices, like basically like a hundred dollars under scalper prices. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about, oh my god, like you don't make any money on. Well, and, and distribution is supposed to sell near, like below MSRP, right? Yeah. Like 
And that's one thing that I said, the you know, distribution model has to change and it's starting to change slowly um, because manufacturers are getting more involved in the in the uh, distribution chain is where you have like, uh, you know, say this was MSRP like uh, 1800 or something like that. And they're selling this to us at, you know, um, hypothetically, you know, $15 less than MSRP. What am I supposed to do if they make $15 on an $1,800 investment? That's yeah. absurd. Like there, no one. If like, one, if you order ten and one falls off the truck, I'm I'm screwed, yeah. right? If one of my employees drops one, or like one of them is faulty and we have to ship it to get RMA, like there's the there's the profit, it's gone, right? And so you run into that situation where you're like, okay, well, we can't subsist on this, um, and so distribution is making their money. And, you know, partners are making or manufacturers are making their money. But the thing is, is like you you have a, a situation occurring where SIs are like, I have so much crap I can't mm-hmm. get rid of. And they factor the price of that stuff into the GPU because they know they can get rid of the GPU. Yeah. Right. And then they, they'll be like, I got free power supplies if I need them. But the thing is, is like if you're if you're buying like, let's say, five, five, fifty dollar power supplies, even if you get the card below MSRP, let's just say $50 under MSRP, which is a reasonable margin, right? And you buy five power supplies, now you have to sell it for at least $200 more. Which is what's happened at a lot of places you're selling. And you're, you're see- saying. And yeah. you're seeing this in system integrators mm-hmm. a lot more now, um, and you're seeing their prices ticking up. Our prices have been ticking up because we have to adjust. We have to like, we have to build them. You know, it was funny about this whole business is you don't really make any money doing it. Um, <laughs> it it's uh, it's it's such an absurd thing. Like, you, you know, you're you're moving like millions of dollars worth of inventory, and you and you're you're making like your your ten percent to be able to like pay all your employees and pay your overhead and everything, and. Like I, I had a guy ask me a couple of days ago. He's like, "Hey, I want to start a computer store in my hometown." And I'm like, "You need to be prepared <laughs> not to pay, take a paycheck for the first couple of years. For the yeah. first two years of me running my business, I I made zero dollars." Uh, yeah, I, I can relate to that mindset because I had someone, another tech tuber, um, ask me, "You know, how are you making money on your podcast?" And I'm like. I'm not. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what money? I mean, now I I have like after years and putting out an episode every week for years, busting I, your ass yeah, to get there. Like, yes, I'm now making enough money. Yeah, but like the idea that I but was like, not, making yeah. all this money and that's you're why like, my channel was successful. It's like no, I did the podcast because I wanted to do a podcast. Yep, that's why I did that. In addition to the videos to get more views. Yeah, you know. And, but this is what you were just saying. Perfect for this reader mail. A guy in PA. 81 asks, sup Tom and welcome Theo. Theo, do distributors set minimum quantity amounts when it comes to ordering GPUs? Also, to the best of your knowledge, where in the food chain do you think the biggest margins are gained on GPU sales for this overpriced current generation? Thanks for the constant consumption of content, Tom. Who do you believe is making the money here? I mean, obviously, NVIDIA and AMD are making some money, but there's an argument that it's like, oh, no, it's the AIBs that are marking it up, making the money. Everyone in the chain has to be making money. Otherwise, they wouldn't be selling this stuff. But the thing sure. is, the thing is, is depending on the distributor you're talking to, um, which I'm not going to name names here because I don't want to piss anyone off, um, some of them are making much more money than others. Like the the seven, $760 OTAC. When that, distrib- that distributor is making a hell of a lot more money than the one that's selling near or right below MSRP. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and 
the distributor that sells five power supplies for every one GPU is making a hell of a lot more money than the one that sells uh, just the graphics card by itself. You know, another one that I've heard is companies that are doing their packaging outside of mainland China are making a ton of money right now compared to the others. That's a 25% difference in tariffs for some of the assembly and parts. So I'm going to give you a very good example, and you can look at pricing and you'll understand it very quickly, is there's a specific manufacturer um, that is cheaper than everybody else, and they make high-quality stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why. is because they make their PCBs out of Taiwan instead of out of China. Yeah. Um, And they also make all the other stuff out of Taiwan and the tariffs are lower because they already had that production production capability there. Instead of doing it um, out of mainland China, they skirted those by. And as a result of that, they're able to pass those savings on to um, the consumer, Mm -hmm. which is reflecting in their pricing. Um, which is actually very noble of them, frankly. I, I, to I, pass it on at all, they yeah, could because they just make another 25% or something. And they could also be the same price as literally everyone else. Yeah. Um, so uh, that is one of the reasons I'm really happy with them as a company um, is because of that. That, And they're willing to work with people like myself. Like uh, One of the things that we check, one of the boxes, is that we're a brick-and-mortar store, which is a big thing that distribution is now realizing they need desperately. The beauty of an online market is it's a great equalizer. If everybody is selling online and all they're selling is the product, everybody is just doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just who happens to have inventory at the cheapest price at that given moment, which causes price demand to come down. What they don't want that to happen, right, in the market, any manufacturer don't want that to happen um, because they make more money that way. Um, They want partners like myself to add value to their products. They want exposure. They want their products to be suggested to customers. Uh, Believe it or not, Best Buy is a value-added reseller. Mm -hmm. Um, Arguably, the value they add is maybe not as much as somebody like Micro Center, right? When you walk into Micro Center, you have a much better conversation with the guy there than you probably do with someone at Best Buy. So one thing is with with value-added resellers is that you have the ability to add value to the uh, manufacturer's brand, right? Um, If a customer comes to my store and they're like, hey, I really need to do X and this is my budget to do X, right? I can look and be like, okay, well, in your budget, the 3060 is going to be your best you know, price. And since you're doing some video editing, it's going to, with the extra VRAM, it'll be good if you're trying to do some high resolution video editing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then that conversation is value added that the manufacturer did not have to do anything to do, but now their product is suggested because it's superior. Okay. Um, on the flips or that advice to be able to narrow down the information, maybe an, a customer that would might not buy, but as a result of your advice is now able to make an informed decision and purchase is another sale generated for the manufacturer. And they didn't have to do it. It's very hard to make that like tangible. Oh, I see. Yeah. So that value added is important. And you, it's really hard to do that when the listing is just an Amazon listing or an eBay listing. There is mm-hmm. no value added. It's just the, the 
thing is sold. And yeah, it was sold before they went to the website. They went there to get something they already knew they wanted to buy, probably. Yes, they were already looking for it. Or they're like, oh, th- that's the price. Okay, I'm buying it. Or, oh, it's a decent price. Let me go ahead and buy it. And a lot of people, you know, with especially with Amazon, just instant buy things based on availability. As long as it's available prime today, look, you know, it's like the best impulse buy in the world system in terms of people who are bad at impulse buying. But manufacturers want these types of companies. And one reason we flourished with different manufacturers is because we add that value. Mm. We do like, like I offer MSI to make a Godzilla computer and film it and give them that stuff. Like I have Asus's Strix logo painted inside my store, shooting laser beams at Corsair's pirate ship, like in my store on the wall with airbrush paints and like with UV Mm. reactive lights. And they like included that in their QBR, their quarterly, like, Asus review that they go over and guys are talking about like what accounts they're trying to grow. That type of stuff is not something you can get just anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so that value is something that they they value. And so when they have the choice between selling to a guy that sells only online and does nothing else uh, and doesn't even build systems or a miner that will buy the system or buy the, the, the cards, use them for several years, never talk to them again, then dump them on the market and devalue the components in massive waves and maybe have issues with those cards that they now have to warranty, right? Because maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to undervolt or whatever, right? They really rather sell to a system integrator who's also... Yeah, and can handle all that for them and stuff. And and handle all that. Be a point of RMA. Do all... like, Like, you can come into my store and RMA any component as long as it's under warranty still. If you have your purchase invoice from Best Buy, I'll handle the RMA for you. I don't care as long as it's a part yeah. of the company, right? It's a card that you purchased under warranty. You can bring it in. If you don't know how to fill out all the paperwork and, and figure out what's wrong with it, right? We can handle that for you. That is a value that like no one could pay for, right? It, you would, it would be hard to quantify. And so that is way more important for a partner company than eBay listing, Selling component and the systems, obviously, too, on top of that. So I think we've been going for a while, and I can feel us both getting a bit tired. Yes, absolutely. But I do want to get to, and to the reader mails we didn't get to, which I actually do feel pretty bad on this one because so many of them were very good. I'll save them to answer later in another episode or something, but I do want to get to this one, at least as kind of a closing down conversation. So Dr. Forbin writes in and he asks, Hey guys, I was wondering, are the glory days gone of the $600 first build that can game well with a GPU? Another thing we can stop saying is that memory is clocked at megahertz when it's not just saying, well, let's just go with our $600, you know, budget builds dead. And and, and you saw the notes and you, you commented on it. I want to like put this in perspective that... Well, there's been better and worse eras when it comes to building a budget PC. I I think that we do need to be fair that at the 360 and PS3 beginning of that gen, those consoles were pretty competitive for the price. Granted, 360 didn't work for the first two years, but (laughs) there's a reason it was so cheap. (laughs) And the PS3, I mean, yeah, there was some, you know, it wasn't that clear cut, but I mean, that was a good time to do it. But near the end of that gen, they kept selling the same consoles for like, 300 bucks and uh, you know over and over and you could start building pcs that were like quadruple the performance for a little more money and then we got into the ps4 era xbox one era even then there were these potato masher they called them builds you can get like a 750 ti with an i3 
for about the price of what an Xbox One was. Yes, the Kinect, which was basically a medical imaging camera they just shoehorned into a console for no reason, made it so it was easy to build a PC that was as competitive. But, I mean, it's very different right now, you know. And it's sad, you know, and and I want to put that in perspective because I think people say, oh, consoles are always cheaper. Not necessarily. They aren't always cheaper. I think right now to build a PS5, you need to spend twelve hundred bucks and you don't get a Blu-ray player, you know. So that is are we going back to those days ever? I I think three things would have to happen for that to occur. And, and there's, and they're, and they're quick. The the easiest way to look at it is you would need a very powerful APU to come out. One of those. Sure. Um, something that is like the level of a, and, and the 5600 G is probably a really good example of that, but it's not quite there. It's a little it's bit. It's a computer units, man. It's, it's not yeah, very strong. Yeah. If they could get the <laughs> GPUs a little better, the, the consoles back then were arguably running, Underpowered compared to their PC counterparts, right? But, also, but the PS4 is also cheap and came with a Blu-ray player. Also valid. Uh, again, I think there would have to be a very large dump in video cards for that to like. I agree, out. but I don't think the 580 can do it anymore. I think the 580 is fine for gaming; it still works. I'm Maybe just, like a 16 series. Super. That's, that's what I, I. I well, that's about the same performance, frankly. Yeah, it's a little higher. It's around the same levels, like a 1070, which is faster than a 580. It's, it's a step up. It's not quite like maybe like a 1080 performance level so i'd say we need a flood of like 2080s <laughs> i don't think it's ever gonna come uh, 20 exactly. series was made in such a low volume compared to to, to to pascal and and ampere that it's not gonna like the demand was just so much lower for 20 series well and i don't want to be a downer here but i want to put things in perspective the ps4's graphics card was Basically, a slightly cut down seven eight seventy, but it actually had double the ROPs. This yes, uh, uh, yeah, double the asynchronous compute units plus the optimization that occurred and and more bandwidth. It was yeah. actually sort of a seven nine seventy seven eight seventy hybrid design, but really closer to a seven eight seventy in performance. The and the optimization, yeah, and the PS five. I mean, it's sixty seven hundred XT. I mean, it doesn't have infinity cache, but it has double the bandwidth. It's two fifty six. Well, not double the bandwidth. The new bandwidth. consoles are really giving budget PC gaming a real run for their money. Now, that, I, that, like just the PS5 is a 3060 Ti performance. It'd be my estimate. I would be surprised if modding consoles didn't come back. That was a very popular thing in the 360 era. And to be able to run operating system, like standard operating system. It's Ryzen hardware. Maybe you can graphics. do it, yeah. Like, mod chips were a very common thing back in the day for, like, 360s and Xbox Ones um, because people would take the hardware and they're like, I want to run Linux and load a bunch of ROMs. And now... They have done that with the Series S and stuff, I believe. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if this next generation, or this current generation of consoles has a huge mod scene pop up as a result of the need for budget gaming on PC. Like, take a... Take you know, go buy the Xbox or whatever the or the PlayStation, bring it home, go order that mod ship, get it put in or put it in yourself, and install Windows. Because hardware wise, with the exception of like a few of the specific chips on the board, you could probably virtualize Windows inside of Linux and it would work. I mean, to be honest, I'm somewhat surprised the series. Well, either of them S or X doesn't support Windows. I think that's just such a no brainer. 
Like, what was it? I was talking to Colin Moriarty about it. And he it's was, not like you can't get the same games on both now. Literally. Oh, I know. Like, and, there's no reason to open well, but Think of how good the marketing would be. Like he said, it could be like a back-to-school ad for the Series X, mm-hmm. and you have the kid playing video games, and when he hears his mom coming, he switches it to Microsoft <laughs> Word. And prote- like, this marketing writes itself. Yeah, like, literally. Like, it's back-to-school. Literally writes itself. That is hilarious. <laughs> but but so when it comes to pure gaming components, I the only thing that I can think of that would save this is if, and this has happened before, but I feel like these companies are more savvy now to not let this happen as easily, is if they do overproduce components, if they do just make Ampere and RDNA 2 out just out the yin-yang for months, and then they make too many, and then that crashes at the same time Intel launches graphics cards. That's the only thing I can see happening. I have a hypothetical that would work because uh, NVIDIA learned from AMD's mistake with the RX 580, where they had so many of them made for mining that when the mining bubble collapsed, nobody bought a brand new RX 580 for like six months. Mm-hmm. Everybody bought used mining cards. Yeah, they're hundred bucks, man. Like why the 290X was the worst I, one. I, I bought an RX 580 uh, from uh, Hong Kong for sixty-five dollars. <laughs> it's funny point, in hindsight. I, I, I sent it to uh, uh, Steve from Hardware Unboxed. Um, uh, he did a review of it. It, it was the Pradeon. RX 580. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah and it had uh, it had ATI stickers on it. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. It was made by uh, Yestin or something like that. I don't know why it was badged that way. Um, but anyway, the the point is, is you would need um, Nvidia to make a massive mistake. Yeah. Not learning from AMD's folly with the five. And I don't think AMD's making these mistakes anymore. Oh, no. That's why they locked out mining the way they did, because they just don't want to even deal with it. Mm-hmm. They're they very much they're like, we don't even care. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and on the flip side of that, um, NVIDIA would also, you would need the bubble to collapse. You would need the mining market to completely dump. You would need like the entire cryptocurrency market. Which I, don't, I don't see it completely collapsing. It won't. Even if it was outlawed, you would still have uh, it go underground. It was still. I mean, uh, no, it's not going to be outlawed. Too, you have states, in fact, doing tax cuts on miners because they want to attract miners to their state right now. So I don't really see. Yeah, I'm saying hypothetically, in a, in like a world yeah. where you could do anything, if you even if you outlawed it, it still wouldn't kill the demand mm-hmm. for at least mining capable stuff. And it wouldn't uh, right now, at least at the current profitabilities, it's still so much more profitable to make the stuff. Uh, or to, to mine the stuff than it is to buy at even above MSRP prices, right? Um, if you're a miner and you're like, I can make my money back in six months, it's still very enticing. Even nine months. Even and, and at the same time, too, you have gamers just willing to buy these products for that much money. So I don't think all of them are, though. Mm-hmm. I think there's like a third of the market is just waiting, hoping something gets better. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. To me, it kind of sounds like you're saying, though, you just kind of think the $600 budget bill's gone. If you're willing to look at uh, a lot of used GPUs and the market calms down, you get enough used GPUs below. And, and, and the thing is, like, if you're looking at what a 750 Ti i3 combo, when the se- when that combo was popular in, like, 2014, 2015, um, the 9 series is already out at that point, mm-hmm. right? The 9 series is already in use. So arguably, you know, saying that you can't use an older gen component, right? But the 750 Ti was Maxwell-based. It was practically part of the 9 series. Yeah, but it was just so low power, man. I mean, the, you know what it really did well? It played 60 FPS in like 
90% of titles at the time. And that's what was the beauty of the 750. Like, it also yeah. didn't ex- it require six pin power connectors. Mm-hmm. It was, it could run off the board. And that means you could p- take an old Optiplex that you bought from like a government refurb sale and just stuff it in there. And boom, you got a budget gaming PC. Like done. You don't even have to do anything. It's already got, you know, eight gigs of RAM and an i5, you know, from third gen or something. And then you, you throw in the 750 Ti and now you got a gaming PC. That era might be dead. Yeah. Especially because OEMs have gotten smart about it. They're like, oh, people will buy up those old government computers and just make them into gaming computers. Um, and and so it, it might be. I hope it's not. And I, I'm the guy who builds new systems. I don't want it to be that. Mm-hmm. I want people to... Because a lot of people get into PC gaming because they can do that. I mean, yeah, the, the way I see the market going is either people scrapping for the cheapest stuff mm-hmm. and like, and I mean like, you know, five-year-old Xeons for 20 bucks, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> or going to the high end. I, and I just think that's kind of where it's going to go. You're going to have people with old stuff because that's what they have. And so that's what they're going to game on for PC. Cause it has a huge library of games to play or they're going to go super high end. I think I think this mid-range is uh. I think also driver support being dropped for certain generations is going to drive replacement faster. Oh, yeah, that's one way they can try to force them to upgrade to the newest cheap thing. And and there will be cheap, I believe there will be sub $300 cards every now and then. I just the analogy I made recently on broken silicon was I think you're going to want to compare the $300 market, the below 300 to what used to be the below 100. So 10 years ago, AMD and NVIDIA wouldn't always make a 6670, a $80 card, but they would every few gens. AMD and NVIDIA are going to keep making sub $300 cards every few gens. But yes. Me and Dan came to this realization. When was the last sub $300 card that was new? Um, well, I would say for AMD was the fifth. Well, the fifty five hundred XT is just an RX five eighty refresh. Um, well, I mean, fifty five hundred XT was a new model, but it was the same performance here. Yeah, but think about it though. That was yeah, that was about 2019, 2020, 2020. And even then, I still argue that that like it was a two hundred and seventy dollar card on a good. Day. It was an RX five ninety for RX five. It was an RX five ninety yeah. for five eighty performance. Yeah, and and the the let's not even get on the fifty six hundred XT debacle with the memory bandwidth thing. <laughs> well, so um, do you see what I'm saying though? Yeah. The last example we can come up with is the fifty five hundred XT, maybe, and, and that and was from early twenty twenty. It's been a year and a half since any sub three hundred dollar card has been launched any new one i would argue that the okay. 300 market's dead already <laughs> okay but here's the here's the problem with it is as a, ma- a manufacturer standpoint right same reason why card chips are so expensive right now if you as a manufacturer and i understand they're not the same facilities that make these things right but if you as a car manufacturer have the choice or a chip manufacturer have the choice to make five dollar car chips to put into radios in a car or into a you know control module in a car or whatever or you have the choice to make a 203090 which one are you going to make no and i'm not blaming the manufacturers <laughs> yeah i'm just saying i don't think they're never going to make sub 400 dollars sub 300 dollars cars they're just going to focus supply at the top end and it's going to be one of those things like the 1030 is a sub 100 dollar card they haven't made a new one of those for like years and years and years and years 
I'm saying I think they will make new $300 cards. It's just going to be every few generations they make it. Just like in the, just like they keep selling the 1030 for years for the that. The 16 market. series is a really good example of that, I would say. Is that exactly. That's the last time NVIDIA did it. Yeah, and the 16 series just got discontinued. Like, literally, they... So they'll have something eventually. And, and they might make another run of them, right? Like, the 7... Sure. Seven, uh, GT 710 and 730 is still technically being made this month, right? Like, it still exists and it's being manufactured. But um, they do like a run of them. Yeah, we have a couple in here, 1050 Ti's. <laughs> yeah, so they do a run of them. Like that's new production Asus, right? Um, Asus has made new 1050 Ti's, but that's when they get a run of them and they have extra manufacturing capability, or they got just so many orders piled up that are willing to pay extra to get the stuff that they'll just make it mm-hmm. at that point, right? Oh, so that they know they're selling out the door. Yeah. And that's when they do a run. Almost like um, for people, it's almost like um, antique ammo for old guns. They don't make them every year. It's just like, hey. They'll do a run of it. Just like Pops, pops, uh, the whole vinyl figures, they they don't continuously make every pop forever. They do a run of them, then they go make another run of a different thing and a different thing. And they might, every couple years, come back to that model and redo a run of them. But they're not going to refresh, though. NVIDIA and AMD. And... Uh, Roger Kajori had this one slide he showed around the Polaris launch where he's like 84% of the market's below $300. Yes, 100%. And not even I can that. tell you that as a person who sells tons of video cards and computers. But yeah, but but yeah, but that's the thing is not anymore, I think. I think what they're going to do is like the antique ammo like the GT1030. They'll just, you know, there will probably be I a sub $300 think, RDNA. I think the sub $300 market is now Today, the sub four hundred dollar market. It's the same market. It just got moved up a hundred bucks. Yeah, it's the exact same shit. And I think exact same people. Yeah, it's just now sub four hundred. All of those segments have moved up along with everything else, and they'll just do. There's gonna be. I think I've heard Lovelace. The first Lovelace card actually might be that sub three hundred dollar card. But guys, it's because they didn't make one for Ampere. So of course, it's the first one they do for Lovelace is gonna be that. And and, and they'll you, reproduce that, like you said, like ten fifties every now and then until they. Need and you mentioned something earlier with the seven. 50Ti being basically a 900 series card um, in terms of like what it shares in its DNA. Um, yeah. It's very possible the initial like Lovelace drop is going to be low that. power shit, right? And and then they'll release the actual new generation stuff. They'll make a yeah, I've heard 30, they might a 3060 super is what I've heard they're going to do, or, or really. something like that. Yeah, right, like a 3050 or 30 3060 super or something like that. And and it's a new architecture design, but it's under the old naming convention. And then they'll launch the high tier stuff at, at the new you know 4000 series. Yeah, near the, probably closer to the end of the year. Yeah, I, I honestly think it'll be either if market demand dies down, they'll get it to market faster or at least paper launch it so that way it's the thing on the street to to to, to be paying attention to um and if they don't paper launch it at that point they'll probably have it actually ready in springtime that's just my theory though yeah well i i think we should stop there i think we are getting very tired (laughs) yes and uh i warned you these tend to go on for a couple hours you know whether trying to or not um and again to the other people that the reader mails that weren't answered these will go into the mailbag and we'll save them for later um but if uh, there's any that are specifically targeted towards questions that i might be able to answer answer, um you can post them and i'll just respond in a comment with the answers 
Yeah, or I'll just email them to you or something. Yeah, and you can include them in your video or something, whatever you want. You know what I could even do? I could just, <laughs> I've talked to you a lot. Mm -hmm. I could answer what I think you're going to say, and then you tell me where I'm wrong, and then you can okay. add in a paragraph. That, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Easy. Done. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for everybody uh, for listening, and thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks, Tom. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Akawari, Frederick Lau, James Cresset, Justin Pears, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Jada Folt, Phil S, D31337 Antics, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Disaru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Addict, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Swan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kid, Gaty Wanchek, Ivan214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Diggle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Dick Dickler, Joachim Hagen, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Acosta, Andrew S. Blake, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Power, Stu Alenia, Nanya, Daniel Nishpal, Franco Frederick, Dan Galinowski, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Layton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Danovan Russell, Zabra Zibur, Zicky, Martin Porcheggi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stefan Coates, Kiwi Phil, Dehuhu, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Loria, Loris Correa, Deke, 
Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake223, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou, Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie, Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Scott Ref Schneider, Mai Sharona, Y. Truey, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, SS, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sami Malas, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R.P. Sharma, Mead and Pork, Jimmy and G, Mads Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, C. Jits, Shield TV, Couteau, Dame P, John Wissink, Sam Vensel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse Jess Kowiak, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindley, MJB1, Amiable Chief, Mitchell Pell, Gordon Freeman, Granadin, Aaron, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 